You know what time it is. It's time for the Dodcast. 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 Dennis, the hey folks, welcome back to the Dodcast. I've been pretty busy over the past few weeks with Christmas as well as trying to change a few bits to the intro and, and so forth in the podcast, so I hope you guys like it. 2019 is now here, I've said it before, I don't subscribe to the whole uh, new year, new me bullshit as any person can start a journey or an undertaking at any stage, but... At the same time, if you have decided to implement a positive change in your life, good on you. A quick thanks to yourselves. Um, just before we get into the podcast, thank you so much for listening and supporting uh, me to date. A quiet word from listeners and friends over the break tells me how much value you guys are getting from it uh, and really is the main reason why I do this. Growth in the podcast world is, uh, is through word and mouth, so if you have got any benefit from these episodes please do pass it on to a friend or a colleague or anyone else at all who uh, you think may have may benefit from it so in this week's episode uh, i speak to best-selling author caroline foreign after releasing her book owning it the bullshit free guide to living with her anxiety she's been praised far and wide for providing a universal tool to dealing with the daily stresses and anxiety in life caroline has always suffered from anxiety and in this episode we speak about how this initially presented in childhood. We talk about how important it is to recognize the early signs so that it can be kind of effectively, effectively dealt with uh, in a practical, practical approach, but also the journey that she went through uh, for looking this, uh, for this non-existent quick fix. We speak about her mental breakdown at the age of 26 after moving jobs and the things she did at the time which just ended up making things so much worse. And then afraid to, to leave the house, she explains how she really hit rock bottom, but more importantly, how she started to put the pieces back together. Caroline has just recently published her new book, The Confidence Kit, which details the transformation in her person, but also at the same time recognising that anxiety will be a part of her uh, and useful tools how, how to keep this at bay. I personally love preparing for this interview because it meant <laughs> I had to do a bit of soul searching myself uh, and the tips and tricks that she provides really are bullshit free. As she says herself, we're all at some stage in our life going to feel like shit, but it's recognizing the signs and dealing with it effectively uh, and that shit feeling so that it doesn't, you don't give it energy and, ex- and, and it won't expand. As I said, please give this a share on Instagram or just pass it on to a friend if you found it ben- helpful or beneficial. I know you're going to love this episode. Caroline is honestly one of the most down-to-earth people I've spoken to in my life. Uh, so again, let me know how, what you think, your thoughts and ideas. And if you didn't like it, let me know as well. Uh, I, I, I really want to uh, see this podcast grow uh, and I'm really learning from it. So again, thank to yourselves as well. So here we have episode 24, Owning My Anxiety. Let's get this party started. You're going to keep that in. (laughs) (laughs) Recording here today from the capital of this beautiful little country we call home, and I'm kindly joined by the brilliant Miss Caroline Foran, or Mrs. Caroline Foran, should I say. I don't know if you say Mrs. because I kept my own name. Oh, yeah? So I don't know if that, I don't know what, what the politics of that it, is, is anymore. Is it like a double barrel now or how? No, how? I'm just okay. figured, I'm still Caroline Foran, Miss, Mrs, I don't know. Maybe It's definitely not M-I-S-S because that's like a kid, isn't it? 
I'm not too sure, but listen, Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. But at the start of the show, Caroline, what we do is we get the person who stands or sits, well, lies there before us on the floor um, to explain or describe themselves in, in a few words. Uh, so just very, very briefly. Okay. Um, overthinker, writer, homebird, um, sensitive tummy, um, perfectionist. Very caring. I don't know, I'm describing myself. I don't yeah, know. I love it. Yeah? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, no, I lo love that. Um, what I like about it is you used one word instead of going on, like, if it was someone else, they'd be like, well, I'll tell you now, I'll tell you a yarn or a story. If it was a man from Cork, I'm thinking of a Patrick Kirby. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was like, you know? that's enough now. Yeah. <laughs> so at the start of the game, we do a little game called association. It's a, a word, a phrase, a sentence. First thing that comes to your head, okay? Um, I'm just going to get straight into it. So, okay. bullshit. Guide to living with anxiety. Louise O'Neill. Amazing inspiration, friend of mine. Uh, anxiety versus depression. Um, anxiety is something that I've really experienced. Depression is something I would never speak about because it's not been my experience. That's fair enough. Vulnerability. Something that we have to own and embrace. Negativity bias. Uh, within all of us, very important, um, but something we need to work around. Okay. Your go-to book. Um, Eat, pray, love. Oh, lovely. Uh, charades, the game my favorite thing in the world but i get very aggressive I, like i didn't realize how competitive i was until i played charades and <laughs> my friends are like i don't know if i actually want to play with you because you're going to turn into a real mean person <laughs> essential oils nah nah happiness um it's all about the moments i think everyone has it wrong and that there's they're hurtling towards something in the future and i feel like it's really just it's about your lifestyle it's the here and now it's the moments it's like right now love it um, childhood hero. Um, my brother. Nice. Tap water. <laughs> um, I drink it, but I for a long time when I was my anxiety first hit me, I thought that tap water was maybe the reason why I was feeling sick because I was too unaware to mm -hmm. think that anxiety was a thing. I was afraid to admit it, and I'd moved from the north side to the south side, which is so freaking stupid that I thought this was a thing but I was like maybe it's the D South Dublin City tap water that's that's how far gone I was in, in my mind so I'm safe anyways with my uh, my water, water here water, yeah. Yeah. Thank DNS God. for life mm. delish uh, your favourite music uh, really old music my most listened to stuff is like Etta James Nat King Cole okay, nice. I really should have been born in a different era I always feel the same as well the, the, the swinging 60s oh yeah. yeah no I'm like 30s oh okay excuse me yeah 30s um, 20s 30s 40s um, coffee don't do it it was it was something we literally very briefly just spoke about when before I went online I, I had a coffee and you can see I'm jittery as hell I'm probably instantly anxiety <laughs> you were going to be talking <laughs> about here uh, just before I came to meet you but uh, no I truly uh, truly um uh, I agree with that. I don't like the taste of it, but also it does nothing. I like I can't cope with the heart palpitations and yeah. Um, I like chocolate or coffee, chocolates and roses, tins oh, and yeah, roses, yeah. and I like espresso martinis, but they yes kill me. <laughs> um, social media. Um, a double-edged sword. Mm. Acupuncture. Uh, really, really beneficial and and scientifically proven. Uh, Dublin. Home. Drink of choice. Oh, Jemison Diet Coke or Prosecco, it's a toss-up. Nice. If I'm being classy or if I just want to get hardcore liquor into my system. <laughs> what did you have last night? Prosecco. Okay. But I had about two it was classy then. It was classy then. Yeah, um, it was classy up to a point. <laughs> um, panic attacks. Um, one of the worst things you can experience. Mm. Terrifying. Um, something that I haven't had to deal with in a long time. 
but touch wood. Touch wood. But the reason, not even touch wood, because okay, sorry. I don't like to live in fear of it. Ha- like I could have a panic attack, and if I have it, it's fine. I'll deal with it. Yes. I think the worst thing that people do when they think, oh, I've gone eight months now without a panic attack, mm. you're kind of waiting and lurking in the shadows to see if it comes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it happen. Let it happen is what I'm all about. Chicken nuggets. <sighs> like don't eat my chicken nuggets ever <laughs> and don't close McDonald's when I'm five minutes away I, I chicken nuggets it's like charades turns me into a monster <laughs> I really wish that you brought some your earliest childhood memory um one that springs to mind is kind of grim is um I remember being I think three years old and I was standing beside a swimming pool on holiday and my mom had wrapped me in a towel and I slipped or she just turned away or something and I slipped and I fell into the pool and I can still see the bubbles she hates me telling the story she thinks I'm making her sound like a really neglectful parent (sighs) and then I remember there was this like 10 year old boy who like jumped in and got me out but I also remember fancying him so like I was three and I was already a bit boy mad that would be one of them it's cute it's cute (laughs) or or disturbing (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm just gonna leave it there yeah do (laughs) bear the dog Oh, Bear is my little gremlin. Um, he looks like a gremlin, <sighs> like a Furby. He is at doggy daycare now, okay. having his office Christmas party. Oh, for real? And us? they're all dressed in their Christmas jumpers. Oh, okay. And he's, I think he has anxiety like me. Yeah. I think I've transferred all my issues. Okay, okay, him. okay. Um, uh, night in or night out? Night in. Night in. Um, mar- uh, married life. Um, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of same, same but different. <laughs> Marriage Simpson. Um. Marriage Simpson. Marriage. I was going to say Homer, but I wanted to see what you think of marriage. Um, I like your hair. <laughs> I'm not a Simpsons fan, really. No? No. You had a Simps- uh, Homer Simpson reference there at one stage, I think with, on your Instagram, I was wondering. That my like, knees the, look like the, Homer the Simpson's dress. Was face? that what it was? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I think that my kneecaps <laughs> look like Homer Simpson's head. And the other reference is the moon. I love to wear moon. Okay, okay, okay. And then finally, singing or dancing? Dancing. Dancing? Yeah. Nice. Would you call yourself a good dancer? Um, no. No. But yeah, I'm going to go for it. Um, to start off, a gut instinct. You're, the early stages of your life, you said yourself even you had a, a kind of a, a gammy stomach or a gammy yeah. tummy. When was it that these kind of started to surface? Well, it's a very, very early. Yeah, I, I think um, as early as you can feel scared for a kid. Right, okay. Um, and while you're still young enough to have scary experiences without being able to rationalize them um, and you know talk yourself out of situations so yeah. that that kind of develops in your brain a little bit later more like um eight or nine whereas yeah. you can these are like five or six years old experiences where you just um you just actually i i had my friend's daughter with me yesterday and i was dropping her back to school and just as we got to school she's like i have a pain in my tummy i don't feel well and it happens her every day because she gets nervous about going into class just just a little anxiety in her head about going into the room but when I was her age and I would have feel that feel that way, there was no awareness of mm. maybe little worries um in kids. So you know, my parents and it wouldn't have been their fault, would have been like, I wonder is it something she's yeah. eating? Um, but you know, it's it it's so it, it can be something you're eating, but generally speaking, I think a lot of my tummy issues were manifesting of of anxiety or little yeah. worries or fears that I had. And what was your biggest fear at the age of you know, five, six, seven, eight? Um I don't really know. I, I think I've always just been a little bit, I'm, I'm quite like a comfort person. I'm a little bit needy for like my mom and my parents worked full time and I was kind of passed from au pair to au pair. And okay. I just sort of craved more affection from yeah. them. Not that the, they were just not there, like they were busy. Um, obviously they had to work and do their thing and they were great parents. Um, And then 
like a couple of vivid memories would have been around when my grandparents died. I was about seven and my my mom's dad had died while she was pregnant with me and my other three grandparents died in a couple of months of each other when I was seven. And I vividly remember feeling so sick because I was scared that they had died and my parents were saying things to comfort me like, don't worry, like yeah. your nan is with you. I was like, I don't want her to be with me. She's <laughs> yeah, yeah, a ghost. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah That yeah. is the most terrifying yeah, thing yeah, you can yeah. say. So the, I went through a phase, of, I don't know how long, where I would only sleep with my brother in his room. I was so scared. Um, and then I remember going to see my granddad, I don't know why, in the morgue. Um, and the coffin had crushed his nose. Oh, and like, you know, an adult would be like, oh, this just happened. But mm. I was like, what? You couldn't rationalise it at all. No, I couldn't. And... And I was staying over before my granddad had died, when my nana had died, his wife, um, and I would be over staying with, with him because my parents would have to go out or something. And he'd be like, okay, now go on up and, you know, brush your mm. teeth and go to the toilet and mm. put your pajamas on. And I'd be like, like, nana used to live here. I, I was just so frightened of her ghost. Yeah. Um. So, like, all those little things that seem so irrational and so stupid, but are so, like, relevant to a kid. Yeah. And, and you know, I now have such an appreciation for how much it feels valid to mm. someone no matter what age they are. Do you think if those irrational fears were broached at the time, you wouldn't have had the same issues that you've had uh, over yeah. the last uh, couple of years? I do. And I, I don't have kids myself and I haven't delved too deeply into kids and anxiety, but something I would really like to explore more in that I really do think if we have an awareness of anxiety and the signs and symptoms of it as it develops, um, to be able to get in there while their brain, so much of it is still developing and you know, just lodge in little kind of practices and exercises that make them feel okay mm. with their worries or help them kind of address it rather than never think it's because of a worry and it just gets bigger and bigger in yeah. terms of like a dodgy tummy, yeah. you know. And, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I did. I haven't read it from back to front, but I have How read... Dare ex- you? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and I have to apologize as well. I was, so I was sending uh, Caroline excerpts and snippets of things that I thought would be interesting and funny and everything I was sending was like yep yeah, uh, I, I, I've spoken about that in the book it's like oh yeah I mean I, I, yeah I mean I've read that <laughs> you know but one was uh, Brené Brown and I was going to talk about this a little bit later on but we're going to talk about it now because as soon as I brought it up the the power and the strength of, of, of vulnerability yeah um talk to me talk to me about that um it's actually my brother Daniel who first um I think put me on to Brené Brown mm. who is just amazing and I remember watching her TED talk and then reading her articles and then buying her books and I just was so taken with her interest in people's vulnerability yes. and how it's so important that you know to be happy and to be successful and to move forward we need to be willing to accept that we're all vulnerable and actually one of the biggest problems with society is that we're a unwilling to show that we're vulnerable people and that we can feel different things yeah. At the same time, we're also underestimating how much people will understand and relate to what we're going through. Mm. So this this wall up with everyone. Um, and for me, it was a major turning point when, you know, when I first started to struggle with anxiety as an adult and it, you know, really sort of took over. The biggest, the hardest thing for me was feeling like, you know, a crazy person. I'm like, oh God, I don't, what am I going to say to people? I'm not going out to things. I don't, I don't want to go to this event. I don't want to do anything. And like, what excuse can I give? Whereas yeah, when yeah. I got to the point where I was like, this is, I am really bad anxiety. I don't want to go on this mad hen, you know, to Liverpool because I actually just, it wouldn't be good for me right now. It infinitely got better when I was willing to, it's the power of owning your yeah. vulnerability. Because it, it was one of the things you said, it, shouldn't our innate ability to empathize with one another negate our shared fear of vulnerability? It said, lest any of us have forgotten, we're all in this together. 
Yeah. It was one of the p- bits that she said in the book, uh, and I love the um, "We're all in this together" quote. Obviously, High School Musical, but uh, <laughs> uh, no. But, but I mean, not to not to uh, create this uh, create this uh, as a comedy gig, but they, like I, I, there's so much truth within that, and I and I, I want to echo those words, uh, what you're saying, and also what Brené Brown has said, and I um I advise or recommend anyone who's listening to this to to check out that TED talk. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, isn't it? it's so good. She's brilliant. Yeah, I think we forget. The wor- like the first thing you feel when you're going through something is you're the only person in the world, yeah. whether it's loss, grief, anxiety, depression, and it still to this day um opens my like it's overwhelming how many people reach out to me to say oh I you know what you're saying resonates or I struggle with that as well and I'm like oh my god like I had no idea to the extent how much people in so Ireland, let alone the rest of the world were struggling and people who like me I would have thought oh sure why would they be anxious or what reason which no is questions that I would have gotten and I would have been like. Like, don't be so ignorant. Anxiety yeah. isn't, like, doesn't, it's not a typical anxiety yeah. sufferer or, you know, you don't have to have gone through something really, really terrible to have anxiety or to have anything that you feel is all valid to you. Um, so, yeah, it's so important. But it was one of those things that I spoke about in my uh, few podcasts back, why I do podcasts, the reason yeah. I do podcasts, it's perception versus reality. And this was this thing, like, I mean, to the outside or external viewer, you know, oh, this guy or this girl has it all, you know what I mean? He's he's studying he's doing great or for yourself oh she you know she's she's editor-in-chief of all these fantastic agencies that kind of like builds pressure within yourself and then you feel as though you have to kind of live up to this expectation or pressure i.e talking about expectation versus reality what actually goes on so you're creating this avatar of yourself online that you want to portray to the world when in reality you're paddling like hell underneath the surface yeah like a duck like i i did listen to that part of your podcast (laughs) about the avatar and it's so true like we're constantly I think we're getting better at it now but I would have used the phrase in, in both books about comparing your behind the scenes to someone else's highlights yes. reel and how curated and thoughtfully considered everything that people put out there is yeah. and how I try to you know like yes I will share a photo of me when I'm dolled up and I'm going out but also I'm like having the worst day ever and my I've broken out or you know I've vomiting bug and I just keep running into the toilet I just want to be I want to show the full color of life. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I, again, not to sound sexist, but in particular for, for, for girls. It's not sexist. It's very relevant and very true that girls will fall victim more so to social comparison yeah. um, and struggle more with their confidence issues than men will. And, you know, it's definitely like an aesthetic thing as well mm-hmm. where, you know, we're looking at all this gym stuff that's happening and people like, wow, this person is up doing this at 5 a.m. I haven't even <laughs> yeah. gotten out of bed yet. So it's, I think women are probably I don't have any research to back this up but a little bit harder on themselves in terms of the aesthetic thing uh, well, on Instagram yeah for a fact um this is gonna this could be a little bit difficult for you but take us through a mental breakdown um do you initially get an aura does does something kind of you probably know the signs now but when it first started happening what what, what do you even do with yourself so I I now like retrospectively look at that time in my life as a mental breakdown um when it was a physical kind of breakdown as well where all my hormones it was what was happening to me was I was stressed out for too long and ignoring it and thinking it was tap water and thinking it was this or that and um letting it kind of build exponentially in my body and I wasn't removing myself from the situation that was potentially triggering the anxiety which was this yeah. move from this job um and 
I started to, in terms of my brain, my prefrontal cortex, which is the kind of higher thinking rational part of my brain, started to kind of slowly get worn down because it was like, oh, I'm running out of steam here. Like your amygdala, which is the worry part of your brain, is like firing on all cylinders and wearing you out. So what happened was the higher thinking part of my brain kind of had been taken over. And now my amygdala was firing off, trigger yeah. happy. I was feeling anxious and, and terrified of all. Like I remember walking to Dr- uh, through Dundrum Shopping Centre with uh, Barry and we were going to go for some food and he was like are you sure you feel okay Cause I had kind of said it to him that I wasn't feeling great and I was like no if I don't go that means I'm not okay yeah. and we were just going to like Wagamama and we were walking through and I just was so it's like you shed a layer of skin you know it's okay. like we all have this level of, of protection that I didn't have it was like I was super vulnerable and exposed to the elements and to everyone and loudness and light um, and we bumped into a friend of his who's lovely, who's one of my friends as well. And I remember just being so taken aback by the fact that that wasn't in the plan. And we bumped into him and he was chatting. And I just thought, if I have to stand here for one more minute, I'm going to die. Like, and then they were literally, like, literally thought you were going to die. I was just like, I can't, yeah, yeah, I'm going to fall more. apart. Whatever that means, I'm going to, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. And then Barry was like, are you okay? I'm like, mm-hmm. and then we yeah. got to Fort Wagamama and I just started bawling, crying what's wrong with you I was like I don't know what's wrong with mm. me I don't know but yeah. I'm not okay yeah. I don't know and I can't figure it out and it was that night then like I'd been kind of I'd obviously been unwell for a while but it was that moment of being like I'm not okay and it's I'm not okay mentally it's not just I'm not okay physically and for me the biggest thing with that is when we have a physical Ill- issue it feels like something that's happened to us therefore not our fault not within our control when it's a mental thing, we feel so much more stigma because that's where we're supposed to be in control. We're supposed to be able to decide to be okay. And if you're not well mentally, you're not in control. Mm. And that's terrifying for anyone. Um, and it's also terrifying for other people. Because they're like, oh, why is she not yeah. able to keep herself together? Um, and I just knew in that moment as well that it wasn't going to be a case of going home and having a cup of tea and a chat with my mom. I knew I was too far gone. And... I was petrified. I was so. I was. Now, I know I said earlier, like, depression isn't something I've experienced, but as a side effect of the anxiety being so bad, I was really depressed, but not in a way, not, as, not in a sense of I don't want to be here depressed, in a sense of I don't want this to be my experience depressed. Um, I cried all day, every day. I had awful panic attacks. I lost so much weight. I couldn't eat. Um, I kept having it felt like these flames were engulfing me every time it sort of took over and uh like you would never know I was having a, a panic attack but because uh, I, I it would be inside my head but I'm like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then afterwards I'd be like I'm after having a panic attack I would never be like erratically breathing okay so I, and everyone has different kind of things yeah. but for me it was just like a thought in my head that just triggered something and then was like oh god you're not okay you're not okay and then this like flooding tsunami on the inside where it's like basically what's happening is your adrenaline and cortisol is going like completely dumping in your body and there's nowhere for it to go whereas like if you were running or something or if, if you were had a reason to be stressed and you could take it out my body was pro- overproducing all the stuff with nowhere to go so it was yes. like rebounding around my body and then what happened is because i was producing so much cortisol which is the the slower releasing stress hormone it's a real bitch i hate it so much <laughs> because that was taken over 
I was no longer producing enough melatonin, which is a sleep hormone. Yes. Uh, so no sleep at all. No. So cortisol and melatonin work in a sort of a, hand hand, a wave yeah. together. So cortisol comes in in the morning. So like what people will maybe realize if they if they are identifying if they have anxiety is your anxiety can sometimes feel so much worse in the morning because you have an added dose of cortisol mm. to get you kind of circadian open. rhythm. Yes, circadian rhythm exactly. Um, and then that's supposed to drop off as the evening sort of comes in, and then your melatonin comes up and that gets you sort of wound down for night yeah. but because my cortisol was so high it never dropped off as the day went on so my melatonin just couldn't it never it, it never thought it was nighttime at all yeah no so i would just lie there like wide awake what did you do i i just it was like a form of torture like sleep deprivation and that obviously just made it worse and worse and worse and it was about i think it was probably about four months where i was like if i even had an hour of sleep it was awful sleep or i was having horrific nightmares Okay, there was it, nightmares uh, associated as well. Yeah, or I had, like, I'd have dreams, I kept having dreams where I was in these situations that I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't be able to cope when I was in that situation. And Barry would be like, but you don't have to be in that situation. Like, you're here. And I was thinking, like, I would watch a movie or a TV show and see someone like, okay, maybe they're um, reporting from, like, a Niagara Falls. And I'd be like, you know, if I was in Niagara Falls now, I wouldn't be okay. I wouldn't be okay. Like, I, I had such severe empathy that I put myself in every person's shoes and was like, I wouldn't be able for that. I would, you know, that kind C- of way. Catastrophizing. Like, crazy. Like, you know, just, I, I was like, I don't need to be doing what all these people are doing. I am here. I just need to get through the day. But I was, everything was just like, oh, you wouldn't behave that. You couldn't do that. Mm. You couldn't cope. Um, and at the time, like all my friends were, I was 25 when it really hit me and friends were like thriving in different jobs and mm. really finding their feet and, um, it was really hard for me, like... You just started with Love in Dublin, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah. Just moved from entertainer.ie. Yeah, and, like, I had gone from feeling like I was finally on top of the, the anxiety that I had as a kid, like, my tummy was kind of fine, and I was over in London all the time interviewing movie stars and being like, wow, if I can do this, I can do anything. <laughs> exactly, like, That yeah. was so scary. Um. So then I was like, where have I gone? Like, where has that girl who worked her way from intern to editor within a matter of months gone? Um... And it was just really sad. I was kind of like mourning the loss of myself. Like, and I know this sounds so like super indulgent, but it was, it was just terrifying because I was like, I have a family. I have, an, I was in an apartment at the time. I have friends. I have my health, like physical health. Yeah. Why can't I just be okay? And then that makes it so much worse. So much worse. Because you're like, you are pathetic. Like you need to get yeah, it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just become so much harder on yourself. So in the book, I... I talk a lot about how important it is that people don't feel the need to justify their anxiety. Same way a kid shouldn't have to justify the fear they have about like a monster under the bed because it's valid to them. It's a valid concern. Um, and it was one of the hardest things for me was sort of like an embarrassment around thinking it would be so much easier if I could say, oh yeah, like, you know, something really bad happened and that is why I've fallen apart. But it was like, oh no, I just couldn't cope. Because you can see it. A lot of people yeah. say that within mental health that it's because it's it's so kind of subjective and you can't actually see it. It's not on the surface. It, they're, they're, it's impossible to try and even comprehend or explain to another person what they're going through. Yeah. But what I love about your writing and what I love the conversation that we're having right now is that you're ap- absolutely able to coherently explain and describe what you're now going through, but at the time you weren't. No, I had no yeah. awareness. And I, I was unwilling to even know what it was. And I really like believe... And that's why I wrote the books. Had I known then what I know now, I would never have hit that low point. Like I suffered stress for so long that it wasn't a matter of just leaving the job or it all going away overnight. I was, I was physically suffering. I was ill and it was going to take a long time. And I also had to kind of start from scratch again. Like I got to the point where I remember I went into town and met my mom for a coffee on her lunch break 
and I had a panic attack in the it was like a busy kind of restaurant and what was worse than the panic attacks was the aftermath where I'd be like oh god you're clearly losing it and then I just was like I don't want to go anywhere I didn't go anywhere for a really long time I remember the first time I went to my friend's house and it was a real test and it like you know they were like are you sure you're okay to be here like I had to start from scratch again with being okay to even go to a shopping centre to go like even to this day when I'm in Dundrum I, I can't help but think about that time when L- I literally felt... literally fell off a cliff yeah did was well I mean they always say the start uh, is the hardest where did you start where was the building blocks to create the Caroline Fornus who sits before me now um well one of the nights that I wasn't sleeping I um I don't know why but it's just the other voice in my head just sort of said you know we're going to find a way to turn this around right. and make this work. And I have no idea how, but you're going to figure it out. And then you're going to write a book and you're going to help everyone else. And I woke up Barry. He was like, okay. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I was like, I have no idea how. I like, I had no idea how to get myself out of the situation. And he was like, okay. And I forgot about it then. And then I remember he was going to a festival and it was my birthday weekend. I was turning 26 or 25. And my parents took me down to Kerry where they live now to Dingle. And... I remember when we went to this uh, like specialist therapist on the way who, I mean, I would have, if you told me you could cure me, I would have been like, here's my kidneys, take them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he plugged these things into my temples and was like, oh, like this cures anxiety. It's just like, you, you know, you're just overthinking it. And I was like, okay. Like, like, is that electrical stimulation or? Something like yeah. that, yeah. But I, I mean, it could have been goat. Like I honestly, <laughs> it could have been anything. I didn't care. I was like, take the money. And I, I begged my mom, mom, please, can we go here on the way? And like, it was obviously just like a very relaxing, meditative sort of thing that I did with him where it was just like a, a, an exercise in relaxation. So I walk out of there feeling real calm and I'm like, it's gone. I'm fine now. My mom was like, oh, that's great. That was probably the worst thing that happened to me oh, because geez. then we got to Kerry and I was sick to my dad. I'm like, no, I feel really fine. And he's like, that's amazing. Like, And then I, they were like, my mom, like, got me ready for bed and had made the bed sheets and I got in and, and and then she closed the door and I was like oh oh no no I don't it's not gone it's not gone and I lost it and the worst thing which is why again I was driven to write the book is that all these things that prey on our vulnerability because you're so desperate for a solution and a quick fix you'll do anything that make you think like our anxiety can be cured in an instant yeah. is so dangerous not only because you're wasting loads of money but that when you do then feel good or feel the relief of something, you're thinking you're never going to feel anxiety again. And when you do, it's 10 times worse. Um, so that was awful. And then that weekend, I remember my mom, like I just, I was in the shower and I was like sitting on the floor and she had to come in because like I hadn't come out and like picked me up off the floor. And she sat down with a pen and paper and she's like, we are going to figure this out. Like she was just so unbelievably good to me. I was cry- I had to sleep beside her. I couldn't sleep on my, my own. My dad had to sleep downstairs. Like I was a 26 year old woman. And I had like gone back under my mother's wing being like, I can't cope. Yeah. And, um, but there's so much strength. You like even sharing this story with a complete stranger coming into your house. I, I just think like, thank you so much firstly to, for having the, the honesty and the bravery to say it to myself, but to say it to the whole world as well. I think it's so important to try and normalize these things. Yeah, it's really, it's my goal, like to normalize these things. And, you know, people see my Instagram and think, Oh, like, you know, people have said to me, Oh, you have everything going for you. I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know me. You have no idea. What's that, that an MTV series? Yeah, 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 you think yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you've no idea. But like, yeah, I have a great life and I'm managing it really well now. But there was a time where I didn't know how I would ever put one foot in front of the other again. And it was it was really, really terrifying. Um, but bit by bit with A, the acceptance that, okay, this is where you are. This is anxiety. Mm. 
let's try and realistically look at what happened and what might have brought you here. Let's not try and... Was, was this done through... Sorry to cut across you. Yeah. Was this done through uh, counselling or therapy or... It was a bit of everything. One of the first things I did was go to acupuncture with a woman who was... Oh, she left Dublin now. She's gone down the country because she had a baby who's gorgeous. But anyway, she <laughs> left me in the lurch. And she... I remember I just went to her and like, you know, she, technically she was supposed to just do acupuncture on me. And I sat down in her chair and she was like, oh, tell me what's going on. And I just... Like the whole world came out of me of my eye ducts my tear ducts and I just felt for the, that moment it was like she didn't look at me like she was terrified of me or like I was crazy she was like you know that makes sense and I can see why and I was like oh, thank you yeah and even that alone that was kind of the start of it for me so it was a combination of um I was going to a lot of doctors at the time and they were they were I remember the moment a doctor looked at me and it was like she looked at me like I had two heads I'm like you're not helping I was like I am yeah. a normal person but I am not okay and she's like, you know, just go to counselling and everything. I'm like, I... I the doctor I, said that? Yeah, like they wanted... Now, in fairness, I, I feel like there's a real um, tendency to assume in Ireland that doctors are just like throwing antidepressants at you and want to get rid of you. That wasn't the case for me. They really wanted to make sure I wasn't just sticking a plaster on it. So I was doing... I was doing CBT. I actually it took me a while to get to CBT, but I was doing hypnotherapy. All these things that I thought... See, again, at the time, I was chasing a quick fix. I wasn't looking at it in terms of a stress response that we all have and mine is just on high alert right now and I need to bring myself back to basics. I had to learn everything from scratch and research anxiety and research the brain and only then did I feel like I had sort of some plan in place. Yeah. Um, but it was about a year before I felt like sort of normal again. Okay. Um, and I went on medication because I... What, what helps me with the anxiety and what helps, I think, other people is, again, because, you know, you feel like you're doing it to yourself you're not it's a hormonal imbalance that happens there's an awful lot of scientific stuff at play here and when all those hormones go out of whack you are not able to function normally you are not able to sleep you are not able to react the way you normally would because you're on high alert like it makes sense if you understand the brain chemistry and how and how that happens um i lost my train of thought there. yeah no but I, we were, you were just talking about um taking medication and oh, cognitive yeah, behavioral, behavioral therapy and just the, the, the sort of multifocal approach that you took to get you on, on, on track again. Yeah, so I, I decided to go on medication because um, I wasn't benefiting from the likes of you. Was that a, was that a choice that you, 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 you made yourself? It was a choice I made after okay. a long time of Good. really severe symptoms. Like I was waking up with fibromyalgia and aches and pains all over my body. I had to get into a hot bath every morning to try and loosen my muscles. I had my gums. From the cortisol. Yeah, my mm. gums were like bricks from like holding myself so tight in the night. I was so physically on the floor with it that I was like, look... I need something to just help me get my head above water so then I can really benefit from things like CBT or mindfulness. Like I was sitting there with feeling like I had a severe flu and being trying to close my eyes and be like, just meditate, just, you know, like that's never going to work. So, but for other people, if they have the awareness of what anxiety can feel like and look like and how it can sort of build from sort of innocuous seeming stress and turn into anxiety, they wouldn't, you, you probably wouldn't have to get to the point where I was, where I needed medication. Um, but at the same time, I hate for people to feel any sort of shame if, if they need it. Yeah. The most important thing is that you're just addressing it. Did, did that get your head above water then when you started taking the, the meds? Uh, not for, for a while. After the first because meds I know that like, Prozac and things like that, they, they, they floor you at the start, don't they? Yeah. I Well, I was on another one called Effexor at the start and I was on it for about six months and I was like, I don't think this is doing anything for me. And uh, then I went on Prozac and that's one of the oldest ones and the most sort of backed up it, mm -hmm. you know a lot it's different for everyone um but i went on that and after 
after about the first six weeks are horrific because basically what antidepressants or the SSRIs do is they kind of starve your brain of serotonin so that it starts producing more of it. So you feel, and it's so hard to put a tablet into your mouth every day, feel worse and think this is going to be good in the long term. It's like eating something that's making you sick to cure <laughs> another problem, you know? Brussels sprouts. Yeah. So um, that was really hard, but also it's a good sign. If that's working. It means it's working. And then after about seven weeks, I just sort of felt this slight fog begin to lift. So Carla, I'm sure there's so many people that are resonating and empathizing with the story and probably feeling the same feelings that you felt at that point in time. What to yourself or specifically really, really helped you get out of that dark uh, phase or period? Yeah. So what I would say is kind of the conversation we've had thus far is the assess part of my technique, which is understanding what happened, why it's happened, why you're here, why you're feeling this way. And then what I did to get myself to here and what works for me is the address. So it's, I call it the assess and address technique, which I find is really practical and useful for people that they feel like they can take it and do something with it. Um, so the address part, the first part of the addressing the anxiety is accepting it. That mm-hmm knowing what it is, accepting that it is something that we will all feel at times in our lives, some of us feel it more than others, and stop trying to cure it or run away from it. If you try and live your life completely free of panic attacks, you're going to bring them on. If you try and go through life without feeling stressed, you're going to feel more stressed. It is part of everyday life. It is totally normal and okay. So acceptance is the first thing. Then getting more practical uh, things that really made a massive difference for me. I know I mentioned acupuncture before. In terms of calming down the physical symptoms, such as um, not being able to sleep at night or the aches and pains, it's just, I found it really beneficial. And I also would be, some people are kind of think, oh, it's, you know, sort of um, Eastern versus Western. I think it's very important to have a holistic approach where you're incorporating bits of everything. Mm. There's no one thing for anxiety. It's It really is a whole picture that comes together with different strands of whatever works for you. Um, so acupuncture was hugely important for me CBT is something I talk about a lot so cognitive behavioral therapy um, and for someone like me who just wanted which obviously the, the bullshit free guide I didn't want to just be told to just you know breathe I want like give me practical exercises yeah you know cut the shit and, and mm. like let's talk about this instead of plugging something into my head and wishing it away and um, so that's how your thoughts feelings and behaviors all interlink together and how if you can get in at one of those levels you can affect the other two um, so I'm going to hopefully, I would like you to do, be my therapist for okay. a second. Okay. Um, she's putting the glasses on. While she's like, Hello. <laughs> um, so I, I have a massive issue of like seeing things in a very negative, uh, so just seeing things quite negatively, like mm. the way a person has looked at me or the way they've said something or our text messages that I've just perceived to be like not real at all. I do the same. I know. So for that, I would go to something called cognitive restructuring, which is an exercise that I really like. And it's basically about putting your thoughts on trial. And I have to do this with myself all the time. I, I definitely am the same in that if someone is in a funny mood around me, I think it's my fault. So like it's, and it's awful. Like if, if, I don't it's get horrible. A, if I don't get a kiss on the end of a text message from my friend, I'm like, they're obviously pissed off at me. And like I torture myself. Reading everything to everything. Yeah. So first of all, the negativity bias, know that that is a very normal thing. And we have been primed to go negative and place more emphasis on the negative in our lives from an evolutionary perspective. When back then in hunter-gatherer times, if you were not focusing on negative things, such as being eaten by like cheetah, you'd die. (laughs) So, you know, you'd be really stupid if you weren't. If you were thinking all positive and life's great, you'd be dead in half an hour. <laughs> yeah. So smart people were negative. Yeah. Um, so that's really important. And so that's still a, a, the case today where we, you know, we place, I think it's three times as much on a negative as we do for one positive. 
So first of all, know that that's what's happening. That's okay. negatively biased. Second of all, cognitive restructuring. So that's essentially where you take your those feelings you're having, right? And if you took a pen and paper and you wanted to write them down, you're like, I feel or I think that that this person doesn't like me, whatever. And you're like, okay, is this a fact or an opinion? What actual evidence is there to support what you're saying? Mm. And when you do that and you completely take an objective sort of point of view from it and you stand back, you see that, okay, what I'm what I'm writing here is actually I'm projecting and it's a perception and it's a feeling. It's not actually based on anything real. And then what you do is you rewrite a more measured sort of rebuttal to those that part that's the part of you that's saying oh no it's because i'm i'm not good enough or whatever so like for example uh to, to, for something recent for me when i was going on the late late show i was pretty probably never more scared in my entire life yeah. um and i was you know in my head i was like oh, this is gonna i'm gonna bomb like i'm gonna say something stupid or you know it's gonna be the end of my career and let me like, reassure you she, she did not bomb she was absolutely fantastic on it so fair play to yourself so i had to say okay well have you bombed before have, what evidence is there to suggest that you will fall apart? Do you know what you're talking about? Yes. Can you prepare as best you can? Yes. Who are you going on with? Ryan Trubbley knows you. He's interviewed you before. So it's... it's Control the controllables. Yeah. Like it's really focusing on what you can control and like forgetting the rest. Mm. Um, but that's one exercise that I would kind of bring myself... Actually, Barry reminds me all the time. He's like, didn't you write a book on this? When I'm freaking out about something, it's it's te- like I mean it's obviously all well and good giving advice, but sometimes I'm my own worst enemy as well, and I still am very guilty of those things because I'm a human. Like I'm not, I don't want to be saying any of this from a preachy yeah, perspective. Yeah. Do you do you think we project our insecurities onto others? I think so. Mm. Um, I think I definitely do. Definitely in the sense of thinking. Well, actually, I kind of feel like we all we play so much. We think we overestimate how much people think about us. You yeah. know, like yeah. that person who's in a bad mood doesn't hasn't even doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah, so like we're overestimating how much yes th- they really are thinking about what you said or what you did, <laughs> which means we're actually just like so self-involved. Yeah, yeah. You know, so sometimes I have to be like Caroline. Not everything's about you. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Um, and I mean, this is a lovely segue into talking about your the fantastic book that that you wrote, um, owning it, mm-hmm. the bullshit free guide to uh, to dealing with your anxiety. Which so many people, when they were interviewing me, called it the bullshit guide. <laughs> I'm like, that's what it's definitely not. Like, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to uh, do here. No, it's it's it, I love it because it's it's not some you know hippie tree hugger bullshit it's so real it's and, and yeah. so applied it's so applied there's exercises at the end of every chapter and there's also a summary for all those people who aren't good readers i'm pointing at myself <laughs> that you'd like just read to the end of the deck and they're great for uh, preparing for interviews as well so uh yeah. so no it, honestly what i love about that you talk about cognitive restructuring within that as well um and if and there is other techniques for people to deal with their anxiety yeah. is there anything else other that, that within the book that you even sort of like a little abstract that you found oh wow that that, or even about the um, acupuncture, you found that that really, really did help you. Or was there anything else that you found? Jesus, um, there was. So it was like I said, this whole holistic thing between the therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapy in the form of the acupuncture, and also exercise and nutrition was really important. So, yes. um, what I find in people who don't have a real awareness or understanding of anxiety, that they will dive on sugar and caffeine as a comfort thing and I'm like that is the lowest hanging fruit that you could get rid of that is fueling your anxiety if I like I kind of get a bit funny around Christmas time I feel a lot of pressure to feel well and be happy clappy and I feel like oh what if I'm anxious and then I feel anxious because I'm worried about like a self-fulfilling prophecy um so it's very important uh for me to avoid 
things that are going to enhance that. So last Christmas, I did, I'm fine this year. I'm doing a lot better this year. But last Christmas, I really felt it. And I just, anytime I ate sugar or chocolate, I felt like this, like a jitter, you know, like you're saying, you yeah, feel jittery. Yeah. And like, if anything's going to make me feel that way, going to take it away from my diet. So people don't appreciate how much those things really add to your anxiety. So like sugar and any kind of stimulants, I would avoid. If I, like, for example, when I do the Late Late Show, I'm, I have enough adrenaline happening here. I didn't need any caffeine. So I would have completely gone away from that that day and, and eaten things that are very sort of soothing to my system. Um, and exercise, again, I had to sort of educate myself around different types of exercise and how some exercises actually stimulate the nervous system and some exercises soothe the parasympathetic nervous system. So running, for example, is actually quite a stressful exercise on your body and your heart rate mm-hmm. goes up. And I was running a lot when my anxiety was really bad because I thought that I could like run it out of me. And I was, and that's what that's what I would have thought. Yeah, but I well, personally speaking, the more I ran, the worse I felt. That's really really interesting because I was just my heart was racing, 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 and then because I was it was racing, that just feels like anxiety anyway. Yeah. And then so I was producing more cortisol, and I was giving myself more, and I didn't need any more help. So then I went to this amazing uh, functional medicine doctor called Doctor Fanula McHale, who she's got an amazing story herself. She'd be well worth the podcast, um, <laughs> and she sort of opened my eyes to this um what was happening and she said that I'd be much better switching to something like uh yoga or training with weights which I do now more resistive uh, resistance training because it actually your heart rate isn't going to go as high and you'll still get the benefits of exercise but you're actually um it's working kind of in tandem with your parasympathetic nervous system so like I did whatever I could do to not add any more fuel to the fire of my nervous system and that's again about educating yourself and not just thinking, oh, I feel shit. I'm going to sit here and have, you know, a vanilla mocha chip frappuccino <laughs> and a whole box of chocolates. And then, you know, loads of alcohol and wake up the next day being like, I feel so much worse. Like it's common sense stuff. Um, but so, when we live to excess at Christmas time, is that why you're kind of uh, hyper vigilant about it? Yeah, I think I feel like pressure at Christmas time in terms of, uh, you know, having to catch up with people because it's the week before Christmas when it's like, can I not just see you in January when there's nothing else to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I'm like a real... It's such a good point. Yeah, like it's a, such a shit month anyway. Let's just, you know, go for a <laughs> cup of tea then. Um, I, there's a lot of parties. And I obviously am a home bird. I know I said I like, prefer to stay in. Yeah. And I just know that if I have too much going on, my anxiety will kind of edge towards Tip not over. being great. So I very much sort of manage myself as I go. If I, if I have a really busy week, I'm going to make sure to build in time where I'm a little bit quieter. Or if I have a big night out like last night, like tonight, I'm going to just completely flake out and watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, which is my favorite thing to do at Christmas. <laughs> um, so it's about also having the confidence to opt out of things as well. Yes. And the confidence at the time for me to say, do you know what? My anxiety is not great. I'm not going to go on this thing and not feeling like I can't let anyone else down because you have to put yourself first in that situation. I felt so bad being like, I don't want to go to your birthday party because like they'd be thinking, oh, like. Like what you'd be yeah. thinking. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not about you. It's actually just, I'm going to feel, I need to just take this time to be, to get well. Mm. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do. And it takes, you know, it, it, it's hard conversations to have with people but the really important thing is that you like I say own that vulnerability have more conversations and normalize it so something that's so like important for me is um how other people communicate with me about anxiety uh, so when I was really bad and um, Barry my now husband um had never felt a flutter of anxiety at all so like when I was feeling really bad he was like Jesus like are you okay and kind of looking at me as if like he was I'm so worried and concerned for you I don't know what to do and eventually I was like 
if I tell him I've had a panic attack and he's like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you're making me feel more like, oh, there's something really wrong. So then eventually we kind of worked it out that it was like, oh, what did you do today? Oh, I had a sandwich. I had a panic attack. And he's like, oh, that's okay. Well, what do you want to do now to make yourself feel better? Yes. So it's normalizing it. Yeah. So with my friends, it's not like I'm like, oh, I haven't told anyone. I'm going to say, oh, I'm fine. I'm just busy. I'm like, do you know what, girls? I actually feeling a little bit overwhelmed this week. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And we have a much more open um, discussion these days yeah. about anyone's sort of mental state and respect for it. And it's not like, oh Jesus, like what's wrong with her? Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's really, really important as well to make that point and stress the point that mental health is a little bit like physical health yeah. you know that it's it's you know you might go to the gym for the whole week and have a great week but next week if you don't go to the gym you're obviously going to go out of shape yeah the same as with your it's, head yeah like we said mental fitness i also make the point in the book that you know if you're at a dinner party and you came over with a really bad flu you would have no qualms about being like do you know what i feel exactly. awful i'm gonna go exactly whereas if you're on the inside clamming up there's no way you're going to put yourself at risk by saying do you know what i feel 100%. a bit overwhelmed and until we get to the point where we feel like we can say that we still have a lot of work to do. And when we get to the point where we can say that, I don't think anxiety will be half the issue that it is. Why do you think there's been such an outpour at the moment? Um, I don't know. I think social media has a lot to do with it. Uh, I think that's kind of amping up fueling anxiety, especially things like um, social comparison. If that's a sort of a trigger for someone. Um, but people being also much more open about talking about it as well. Oh, do you mean? Yeah. I thought you meant people suffering. But that from too, that too. There's yeah. two sides of the coin. Yeah. So there definitely is. Like, so it was 2014 when I started to really suffer, and there really wasn't like barely. There was a couple of big American blogs who were all like well-being, and you know, we <laughs> thought it was all about matcha lattes, and us Irish people would be like that's a load of bollocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or bullshit. Yeah, or bullshit, and. uh you know, it was there was very much the stigma, and then people like Brezzy who who came before yes. me and kind of paved the way in terms of talking about it. And I'm like, well, here's a guy who's like really good looking, really talented. You know, he was on wasn't he with Leinster Rugby or something? Yeah. And like, he looks like he has all the kind of hallmarks of a, of a very overachieving, capable person, and he was falling apart at the seams underneath it all. Um, so he definitely like made it easier for people like me then to say it, and also for me a huge thing of of being able to cope with anxiety is that it's a coping mechanism for me to talk about it and to write about it. Absolutely. And to say, you know, it makes me feel less like there's something wrong with me because there isn't anything wrong with me. Um, and also it's it's obviously comforting to other people as well to know that they're not the only person feeling it. I can tell you for an absolute fact, this was my favorite interview to prepare for because Aww. I was helping myself Aww. at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so it was really like, I, I, I enjoyed going on my little word document and kind of working on my, you know, affirmations and things Aww. like that. So no, so thank you. Uh, there thank you. no really. bullshitty affirmations. No, no, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just going to check it. Like they probably sound like bullshit to you, but to me they're, 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 they're meaningful. No, so. but like this is the thing. Yeah. It's whatever works for you. If yeah. sitting there and looking at your shackers and realizing <laughs> works for you, so be it. No one can tell you. It's just that for me, I think it's important to realize that, you know, I don't want people to fall victim to, you know, chasing a, a dream catcher that they think is going to cure their anxiety. That's what I mean when I say bullshit free. Let's cut the shit. And know? I love that. You, the very first sentence that you have in the book is, as a total disclaimer, I am not a professional here. I am just telling you about my own personal experience. Yeah. And I think that's why people have resonated or responded so well to it is that um, it's a lot less intimidating when you're hearing from someone who is a normal person for, you know what I mean? Like not professional, who's just sort of felt how shit it can feel and has lived to tell the tale mm. and is... The big thing for these days, especially with the second book and the confidence kit, is that I'm not just surviving, which the first book was about. I'm thriving in spite of my anxiety. I'm being successful and I'm, I'm achieving things myself that are important to me 
while I still bring my anxiety along for the ride or my issues of you know perfectionism that we all have. Um, I think you know I'm not waiting till I feel no fear yeah. before I achieve something or oh, take brilliant. a risk. It's absolutely brilliant, Karen. Just just before we finish, I have some very very niche questions, and just as as concise as you can, just answer them as uh, as best you can as well. Okay. Uh, your biggest fear? Um, well, physical fear, tsunami. Biggest fear, like <laughs> in real life, getting cancer or okay. someone I love getting cancer. Okay. And you had convinced yourself at one stage you actually got over it. Yeah, I'm really embarrassed about that because obviously it's such an insult to people who get it. But I was just, again, so far gone that I googled my symptoms and it was like, this makes sense, this is what it is. And that was just enough to send me into like orbit. But I didn't have it. Yeah, good. Uh, Your favourite failure? Um, I think I get great satisfaction out of the fact that my books are coming out in America and I'm trying to contact people over there and some people yes. are saying no to me and I'm sort of thinking in my head okay this feels like shit right now but your future self is going to be like if I didn't go through that now I wouldn't appreciate it so I think little hurdles not everything being so easy is really important for character nice nice uh, your happiest memory uh just any weekend morning where I'm not rushing off somewhere and I wake up and my dog comes up and licks my ear violently and we have <laughs> breakfast in bed and there's nowhere to go lovely lovely um your proudest achievement um i think it's the sheer volume of people who contact me on a literally daily basis saying that their book changed their life when i had no idea it was going to have that impact i just wanted to not be shit because again i was just thinking <laughs> you're going to do a shit job so for, to write a book and then let alone it be not shit and then have people say that it's changed their life and they like someone today told me they've read it eight times they just keep going back to it that is That's like brilliant I, I have to be I would be so stupid if I wasn't proud of that it wasn't at that acid test you saw it down in a little bookshop in Dingle yeah. and that was uh, I know I felt so proud like yeah. of all the places you know in all in all the all the gin joints in all the world um, I saw it there and I was like oh wow because I'd kind of gone there on holiday all my life yeah. my parents lived there and it was just like wow this feels real so hopefully now yeah. I'll see it like kind of full circle you've, you've, you've kind of completed it all yeah. Yeah. yeah now my goal now is to see it in a bookstore or in a, an American publication and 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 uh, and that will happen. I have no doubt. Okay. Um, uh, how would you like to be remembered? Um, for being caring and real. Lovely. And uh, again, this isn't supposed to be a bullshitty question. It's just a question that I started asking guests at the very very end. What to you is the is the meaning of life? Um, it's the moments, the small moments. It's like the other day walking into Falmouth and looking at the cherry tomatoes and appreciating how beautiful they looked and being like. If this is as good as it gets, it's grand. That's that's such a good answer. Honestly, I love that. I love that. It's so brilliant to be able to do that. And it is the little moments. Like, as you said, your dog coming up to give you a lick or or cooking a really nice, nutritious meal. It's yeah, like tiny moments. Yeah, the smell moments. of garlic and onion on the pan and ginger. Like, <laughs> yeah. that is well, the meaning of life. Garlic doesn't agree with me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you can smell it. You don't have to eat it. It doesn't agree with me either. <laughs> uh, all that's left to say is thank you so, 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 so much for taking the time out to talk to me. I've intruded in your house. Uh, I put you on the floor even um, I know honestly thank you so so much thank and thank you. you to everyone who's who's been reading your books and has got so much value um, I think I speak for everyone to just say thank you so much for everything thank you yeah. you're so good oh I'm all emotional now <laughs> uh, folks this was the Dogcast please like subscribe and, and follow Caroline's journey get those books the, the, the Confidence Kit it's already out in, on, on bookstores yeah. we've already you, you sold you sold out with the other book as well didn't you yeah they keep selling out such a drag um, they're, <laughs> they're, they're available on podcast and audiobooks as well oh brilliant but you have to listen to my voice for like four hours oh is it you talking yes oh nice no <laughs> well it's better than my voice I think anyway so <laughs> folks this was the dogcast thanks